welcome to Guilty Treasures, a podcast about everything you ever loved and were afraid to talk about. I'm your host, Ann Kern. And I'm also your host, Emily Cardamus. So this week, our guest is Wyatt Aguirre, who is um, an artist and a, a good friend of mine um, that we weirdly met through Twitter. But he brought on a very specific topic. <laughs> Extremely specific. Yes. Um, which was a animated documentary series from around the 2000s, early 2000s, called The Future is Wild, which uh, he goes into much more detail but is uh, in our interview, but it's basically a speculative evolution program, I guess. It's na- it's a nature program, but about nature that doesn't exist yet. And and as advertised, it is in fact pretty wild. It is pretty wild. And it's very weird that this was just like a trend for a long time <laughs> of just like, let's make weird CGI stuff. And maybe that's what precipitated the weird downturn of Discovery and History Channel, but I can't <laughs> be the judge of that. I think it may have had more to do with the weird UFO shows, but fair, fair, absolutely fair. In all in all context, this was not even the tip of the iceberg. You know, this was in like a child's pool somewhere, whereas the other thing was more terrifying. But yeah, this is one of those things where I had no information about beforehand. Um, and the first time we had someone come on and talk about a very specific topic. Yeah, which was interesting because I, I think even in the really specific topic, we do get to talk about some general ideas. And yes, yeah, so that's always interesting to see because we never we never know where the topic's going to go with a guest. So let's go to our interview now. Hey, Wyatt, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Um, if you want to, like, introduce yourself, talk about what you do, uh, and what what did you bring to talk about today? Sure. Uh, my name is Wyatt Aguirre. I'm also known as Wyatt the Nerd on Instagram, Twitter, all the in- the internets. Uh, I am a professional cartoonist. I work mostly with YouTube shows. I'll do a lot of illustrations for them uh, for various shows. I got a few clients. Uh, and then, of course, I do my own web comics and personal projects on the side. For today... Uh, I picked a very interesting, very weird uh, CGI documentary called The Future is Wild. The Future is Wild. Uh, yeah. <laughs> For some context, I asked you, I pitched I pitched the concept of the show to you, and within less than, like, 30 seconds, you were like, I've, I've got it. I've got it! <laughs> You're like, just think of something. I, nope, I, I've got it i was like you sure you don't need time you don't want to like really think about it nope nope i'm good this thing is stupid and awesome and uh, uh, yeah so for those unfamiliar with this cgi documentary series yeah it, it came out uh so like in the late 90s early 2000s there was obviously a surge in popularity in like the big because like com- computer graphics were getting more and more i guess you could say accessible to like studios and stuff where people it was becoming easier to make stuff with it so it was around the late 90s early 2000s all the different science and history and animal shows or channels started getting really sucked into making nature documentaries of either extinct of mostly extinct animals using the cgi stuff so there were tons you know there's like walking with dinosaurs there were like 50 of them that were about dinosaurs walking with dinosaurs is like the most well-known one john goodman voiced one called when dinosaurs roamed america there were a couple that were that took place before the dinosaurs some that took place with like the ice age and mammoths and uh mammals and there are two or the one that we're talking about is one of the few that kind of fell into obscurity where uh they got basically a group of scientists all together and said okay 
it's five million years in the future what does earth look like and they basically did like three periods in earth's future at five million 100 million and 200 million years into the future and said okay just based on everything that we know and you guys are scientists tell us what life will most likely be on the planet and it's insane (laughs) did you see any of it so i i only my only exposure to this was when you were sending me images of it i think (laughs) you said you were familiar yeah i were sort of familiar with i i don't think that i would have remembered it if it hadn't come up but yeah i used to um because i i sew i before i had other options like podcasts i used to watch whatever happened to be on the history channel or on not geo or whatever i just flipped between stations and i'm pretty sure that i did actually see some of this show and i i only have this vague memory of it being quite strange uh and that's about it so yeah i i did some cursory google searching and was just met with weird fish lizard <laughs> yeah I, I was like i was gonna say i remember there being some weird like yeah, that's fish lizard things is pretty accurate, I think. That's the crazy thing about it is like, so it, like I said, it, it breaks it up into like three different time periods. Mm-hmm. And the five million year one is kind of like the most, I guess, familiar uh, because like it, for that point, they're like, okay, all of humans are either dead or off planet, yeah. you know, either through nuclear winter or climate change. Either way, we're getting stuck with a second ice age, so that's happening. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, uh, okay, so these animals, you know, like badgers get bigger. Basically, everything is kind of the way it is now, just slightly different. So it's like, okay, these animals that are already kind of adapted to cold climates will flourish, and these other species will kind of die off or like shrink down or you know slightly adjust in a different way so five million years is somewhat familiar and then a hundred million years it takes a big leap and then it takes a further leap at 200 million years like it kicks off the hundred million years chapter with like okay so tortoises get bigger uh like to the size of elephants i'm sensing a theme here and it's just (laughs) everything is large yeah And it's like, okay, yeah, I can I can buy an elephant-sized tortoise. Like, sure, I mean, we had dinosaurs, for God's sake. Uh, and then they're like, okay, and then octopi will s- start to live, like, semi-amphibious. Like, they're, they'll be chilling out in swamps and stuff, and hmm. every now and then we'll go on land and just kind of live on land, but still close to the water. It's like, okay, that I can kind of see that, because, like, octopi are already kind of like that like they can survive out of water for for a good chunk of time i definitely did just have the mental image of a giant octopus like using all of its legs like a weird like almost like a sidewinder snake (laughs) just like and i thought wow that's the most terrifying thing i've ever imagined i wouldn't want to meet that in a dark alley i think i would die out of fright And then it goes absolutely stupid with 200 million years where they're like, okay, there's going to be jellyfish swinging through trees like freaking monkeys. (laughs) (laughs) So the scientists at that point just did some peyote and went with it. (laughs) (laughs) And, And the funniest thing is like for most of this. They try to justify it by like, okay, and I, 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 I walk up to that line with them where I'm like, yeah, you know what? There is some weird crap on this planet. Like we have starfish that push their stomachs out of their bodies so that they can digest. But yeah, the second like jellyfish swinging around like monkeys in trees popped up on screen. I was like, okay, all right, <laughs> you know what? Whatever. I'm this far into it. Sure, sure, why not? <laughs> I'm this I'm this bought in, I might as well just commit. Yeah. <laughs> this I see see they've already got me though with the science part cuz I'm thinking like how are the jellyfish going to swing through trees because you know like they're kind of dome part collapses when they're out of water. So 
Yeah. So So they've already got me hooked. (laughs) I'm wondering about this ridiculous possibility. It was their plan all along. (laughs) It's one of those things where, like, if you look at the images, like the one I sent you with, like, it's like a parrotfish, but with, like, how sharks can, like, kind of, not break, but, like, just separate their jaws to shoot yeah, out. Yeah, no, it looks like it looks like a fish that is crossed with like a xenomorph where like you know how like part of the xenomorph's like tongue comes out yeah. and it's like another yeah. mouth or whatever? It's that. Like when you look at the images of just that and just the different animals on its own, it looks so stupid, but then they like break away from the nature documentary to like talk to one of the scientists who was saying it and he's like, "Well, you know, you, if we follow the take uh, plate tectonic patterns and like that'll force this mountain range to go underwater and blah 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 and that'll force this to go here and he's like and the climate will shift allowing these blah 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 and it's like well you've certainly thought this out <laughs> i mean i can't i can't say you did it now was this something that you saw like originally when it aired or how did yes. you how did you find this okay uh i think it was was it on discovery channel most of them were on discovery discovery uh, sounds right to me too yeah think it was because they they were essentially like the leaders of that whole cgi nature documentary craze uh but yeah i i think it was on discovery channel where i just saw a couple commercials for it it had the stupid flying fish and the swinging monkey jellyfish and i was like oh i i have to see this (laughs) advertising at its finest (laughs) (laughs) and i was like at the right age too to where i i was just absolutely enraptured like i was maybe see like 2000 i was like in second or third grade okay sure yeah that's like the perfect age like look it's a penguin but the size of a whale (laughs) and he looks like a whale too that was another thing i just remembered that (laughs) they were like okay to adjust to like food levels or whatever penguins get bigger and fatter and more aquatic so they kind of lose their feet and just become like whale birds and i was like oh yeah, I could, I kind of see that. So, were you, were you really into these shows? Like, were you watching the other ones on Discovery too, or was it just this one that was kind of more out there and more science fiction that got you? I definitely loved pretty much all of them. Uh, this is just the one that I felt would be like the most fun to talk about, just because it was so weird. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely like I made sure to track down some of them to add to my DVD collection because uh, this, this was really when, like, for the general public, especially with all the dinosaur ones, this is really when it started to come a lot. Uh, these animals started to come alive for people mm-hmm. is because up to this point a lot of the documentaries for them uh, were just stuffy old guys walking through a museum pointing at fossils for two hours <laughs> it's like well that's compelling uh, but as soon as cgi started become becoming like easier and easier to like produce with it was really interesting to see it play out as a nature documentary you know based on all the knowledge of them that we know they would come up with these really interesting scenarios and lives for these animals. Uh, and you actually got to see them and like experience them, at least in a way that they might have lived, in a way that the Earth might have been back then. Like These CGI nature documentaries always had my attention for that. Like It, it just made it more real. I was just wondering, since you ultimately went into animation, and I, I gather that it's not, is it not CGI, is it 2D that you do? On the 2D side, yeah. Do you think that that was part of why you were interested in it at the time? Were you... Did you know that you had an interest in animation at that point that you might think about that as a career or were you at a point in your life where maybe you were, I don't know, like all kids at some point probably want to be a marine biologist or something and that might have been why you were interested? (laughs) It definitely helped because like 
for a while there, I wanted to be a paleontologist, but then I found out it was like eight years of college. <laughs> and I was at that age where like, ew, school's, school's yucky. So as soon as they were like, well, if you want to be a paleontologist, that's eight years of, of college. And I'm like, what? I have to do eight, like, it's already a crazy amount of school years. And then I have to do eight on top of that. <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. Nowadays, I'm like, you know what? No, go to college, please go learn stuff. <laughs> but of course, it was at that right age where I was like, oh, no. No school but it definitely did help i guess it like helped me discover my love of storytelling when it comes down to it that's always been my passion my whole life whether it's comics or animation or just talking to people i've always been passionate about storytelling and telling stories with these animals and telling compelling stories with these animals really helped push me in that direction uh, rather than simply just okay you know here's the animal and here are a bunch of facts basically coming up with scenarios like okay here's a mother t-rex trying to feed her three babies and you actually see like the struggles of the mama trying to take care of her young and so just adding that little bit of it really it made the animals come to life for me and it really did help push me in that direction of like no storytelling is what you need to be doing you need to go in that direction over there you can still learn about dinosaurs and stuff but take that and go uh, tell stories with that information rather than just digging up bones and that's in no way like trying to diss paleontologists <laughs> you've, you've angered them now it's too late <laughs> god they, i'm gonna get so many tweets no. <laughs> yeah no if, if you guys if you guys want to complain about why it's hot paleontology takes <laughs> don't tweet at us tweet at him <laughs> i'm gonna wake up i'm gonna wake up one day with like an angry tweet suck it and it's gonna be like a picture of a triceratops pelvis or something <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be the oh no i was gonna say it's gonna be the the t-rex skeleton from the field museum in chicago that like has a twitter account <laughs> Oh yeah, Sue. Sue's gonna come for you. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> you're gonna get celebrity uh, dinosaurs on your case. <laughs> oh, if I could get Sue to angry tweet at me. Oh, that would be... Now you you were telling me uh, off mic that you so so obviously you saw this when this originally came out and you were a kid and you've just recently been rewatching it to kind of prep yourself for this. Is there? Do you notice any difference in? how how it, it's like affecting you or, or anything you're noticing differently about it now watching it now that you're older i've noticed the cgi is terribly dated <laughs> <laughs> like i remember at the time it was just like oh my gosh like these so this is what the world's gonna look like in 100 million years and you watch it now uh after seeing all the advance the advances we've made in cgi and you watch it now and you're just like oh that is so horribly green screen <laughs> It's a, it's amazing how much your imagination fills in for the CGI it, when you remember something. If you go especially back when watch, you're at that age, yeah, yeah. yeah. Are, are we talking like in terms of quality? Or like, uh, put it on a scale from like PS one to uh, let's say late stage PS two. How how bad are we talking here? Late stage PS two, I'd say. Okay, so we're not like we've we've at least increased in polygons, but we're still not great. <laughs> yeah, it, it mostly stands out because of uh, this is a common trick. That, this is a really cool common trick that they do for all of these CGI nature documentaries. Is they go out and they actually film on location. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's actual. So it's not full one hundred percent CGI. They will actually have like real locations and real jungles and real deserts. And then from there, they'll have like, you know, the green ball and a stick or whatever, and, you know, so that they can be like, okay, yeah, that's going to be the thing and like just set up the shot. Uh, and then all the animals are CGI'd in later. Uh, but that's really what makes it stand out the most is that you have like actual real life footage of jungles and everything. And then PS2 squids 
<laughs> swinging around. <laughs> yeah, jellyfish swinging through trees. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there was this one really cool... Oh, God, I forgot what it's called. But this was one of, one of the more believable creatures because it's similar to kind of what we have nowadays. It was like a group of jellyfish that would kind of group together and form... Uh, oh, Lord, what's the word for it? A bigger jellyfish. No, I don't know. <laughs> Basic, basically, yeah. Like, they would all come together and just kind of, like, stick to each other and form... Uh, from the surface, just looks like a raft made of jellyfish. But they would basically form, like, their own floating community where they would all protect each other. And it, and I thought that part was just really cool. And then if they ever had, like, a predator that would swing by, they had a symbiotic relationship with, like, these little uh, spider crab-looking guys that would, like, live in the tendrils. And so whenever the predator came by, they, they would just, like, deploy... Deploy the crabs. <laughs> it's basically attack crabs, and that's how, that's how they shoot it too. Like it's this dramatic, dramatic upshot of the spider crabs. Like I'm, I'm going in like a parachuting kind of shot. Gosh. <laughs> no, and was this? Were these? Were the jellyfish still? Were they in water or were they out of water? Oh no, they're still in water at this point. Oh okay, okay. So the jellyfish are still water ant like creatures, but they also sometimes swing through trees. Well, at this point, it's yeah. one of those oh. things where it's like, it, it, skip, it has a huge skip. Like chapter one, or like chapter two, I said, is 100 million years. And then the next chapter is 200 million years. That's a huge time jump. Yeah. That's a lot of time. Yeah. yeah. That that would be terrifying, though, if they were swinging through the trees and then they could just like fling crabs at you out of the sky. <laughs> I was picturing, and that's why I was like really concerned. And when they join together, they can like suddenly break the laws of gravity and they're just floating through like right. clouds. I'm just <laughs> imagine this like just this like airship of jellyfish oh! with like attack crabs coming out of it no wonder humans don't live on earth anymore that's the worst oh my god i love that upfront part about it though like i said at the very beginning they're just like all right we're at five million years we're screwed either way either we're either we're all dead or off the planet point is earth doesn't have us anymore <laughs> right life finds a way yeah like i'm sure there were some people that were panicking like oh, we won't be around in five five million years and i'm like well yeah we've barely been around for like a few thousand what do you... or at least like modern human mm-hmm. sure. you know, obviously evolution of species and everything it's been longer than that but like even then recorded history has only been like what six thousand seven thousand years something like that something like that yeah Something like, so like yeah, it, I don't have numbers in front of me, so I can't, <laughs> I can't say for sure. <laughs> was there a part of the show that struck you more than the others? Like, was it the early part? Like, this, you said it was sort of like 5,000 years, and then, or I'm sorry. Million. I don't remember the, was it 5, five million. million years? Yeah. Was there a part of it that, like, you really latched on to more than the others? Or was this something that was sort of like... You just enjoyed the whole concept of it. The whole thing really did, like, especially back then. It, and the way I got reintroduced to this was because I, so I, I watched it on TV, like, the two or three times they reran it. And from there, uh, our library, our school library had, like, the book version of it. But then for, like, you know, a decade and a half, two decades, however long, let's see, 2002. Yeah, so from 2002 to, like, Three months ago, I had never rewatched it. I had never seen it again. I always remembered it, but there was just, you know, it's not available on Netflix or anything. And I was going through, there's like a local game shop that also sells DVDs. And they were having like a massive 70% off everything sale. And this was sitting there and I was like, oh, <laughs> hell yes. I remember this theme. <laughs> I need to buy it. I like immediately grabbed it. 
threw it in the pile, and it was the first thing I watched when I got home uh, that day. Uh, and, and like I said, the whole thing, I don't know. Like, you you know me. I, I'm big into what-ifs. Uh, when it comes to, like, just storytelling and everything in general, a lot of it comes down to what-ifs. And especially with superhero comics, I'm very in, interested in, like, the what-if stories, like the, the multiverse, where it's constantly mm-hmm. like, okay, what if Superman was born in Russia? Or what if this happened? What if Batman was during Jack the Ripper days? Uh, or what if Spider-Man died? Who would carry on the legacy? And that's basically what this entire thing is is like okay what might the earth look like several millions of years in the future following the patterns of evolution that we've seen up to this point yeah yeah knowing you that's like right up your alley you know <laughs> exactly. of, you know you are all about the hypothetical and this is this was basically a program that was that entire concept distilled into one show yeah that's that's interesting to me because i i know i don't know about myself but i know a lot of people who are hypotheticals make them angry they, they would watch this and, and just be like well there's no way that would happen that's silly why are you even why are you even positing this because it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to wonder these things yeah but that's kind of i mean this must be this must have been like the best day in these scientists lives when somebody came and were like you know you don't have to prove any of this we want you to come up with really weird things based <laughs> on what you do know they at least do their their homework they do their research uh and like i said they constantly do cut back to like okay here's you know the modern day ancestor or you know here's the modern day version of that and so if patterns keep following basically this one trait that already exists well like there's a what is it the uh the swampus that's what they call it that's the amphibious octopus that kind of lives half in water half on land Uh, i'm I'm sorry no no i'm sorry (laughs) the swampus swampus? Well, the 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 the, the, tor- the tortoise is called a toraton. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> yeah, they have some crazy names for these. Here's the name for the squids that live in the trees. Yes, they're called squibbins. Aww. Yes. <laughs> That's the best name for anything ever. <laughs> Look, mommy, it's a squibbin. It's a squibbin. <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> now, did now were the scientists giving these things names, or was this like, or were, would it just like be like, would you see like, I don't know, maybe like the CGI footage, and it would like come up on the bottom third, like squibbin or something, or like, or it was this... narrated, wasn't it? Yeah, it was narrated. Oh, okay. But even even then, I'm not sure if like the scientists came up with the name, or if the producer was just like, all right, call him this thing. That had to be the best. Whatever writers' room like wrote the narration, that had to be the best. <laughs> Stay in the office of like, <laughs> all right, we get to make up names for all of these crazy things. That's one of the fantastic things about these CGI nature documentaries is because they're treated like actual nature documentaries where they have narrators like, for God's sakes, they got John Goodman to do one. <laughs> uh, and, and it's always, you know, it's just a bunch of pixels on screen killing other pixels. It's always like, you know, the squibbin has to keep an eye out for predators. Oh my gosh. <laughs> It swings through the treetops, but it's not unaware of the trap that lurks ahead. <laughs> now I see. Now I'm curious whether or not John Goodman did did the Squibbins one because I really I'm now invested in hearing him say the word Squibbin. <laughs> oh no no he he did the one for uh, when dinosaurs roamed America. Ah darn. Uh, I was uh, hoping he was on this one too. <laughs> which is perfect because he played uh, Fred Flintstone. <laughs> I can't imagine how any narrator would walk into a voiceover booth and not say and not and be and try to say the word squibbins without laughing. With this like how many tastes did that take? It's so good. They basically come up with this giant six-winged bird uh and it just looks so beautiful. It has like two sets of giant wings 
and then like two little baby wings at the end of its head. Aww, and I saw why? that flying on screen and I was like, <gasps> oh. I can't imagine any point of vestigial head wings. <laughs> what would you do with them? You're obviously not a big fan of, uh, what's her name? Morrigan. What game is she from? Oh man. Uh, not For Dark Souls. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. But it's just like, there's no, that's, that's. <laughs> Thor got wings on his head. That's true. Thor does have wings on his head. Ah. You've gotten me again. <laughs> you proved me wrong. <laughs> Dang it. Oh, but yeah, it's it's like, I'm I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. Yeah, there's got to be at least a clip. Yeah, it, it, it it's so, like, I highly recommend even just, like, one chapter of it. I think altogether is five and a half hours. Good lord. <laughs> okay, so it's like, it's like two movies. Yeah, it's not yeah, terrible. It's not... Yeah, it's not terrible, but, like, it, it is a, a good chunk of time. Right, it's a commitment. Even just watching one little chapter or something on, on YouTube or DVD or whatever you can find, like, I highly recommend it and definitely take it with a grain of salt because they have that disclaimer where it's like this these are just predictions based on <laughs> what we know. We are not saying for 100% fact this is what will happen. Why do they even bother to put a disclaimer? How is no one's going to sue them 500 million years from now? <laughs> <laughs> there will be no one here. I'm sure they they would have somebody and that was one of the the things I'm sure somebody back then detracted it where they're like, they don't know what that. They don't know what yeah. that's going to be like. It's like, bro, it's just a prediction. Like, I'm picturing the Squibbins like angrily firing off an email into the past. <laughs> <laughs> this is a racist depiction. We take offense to this. Yeah. <laughs> we have discovered time travel and reverse engineered a computer so that we can send an email into the past. Oh, also, we've what? developed sentience. One I remember, one of these CGI things I remember, uh, it terrified me as a child because, like, for a split second, I thought it was real. Like, I know, even at that young age, I was like, I know this is all all fake. It's all just, you know, guesses and everything. But one of them was specifically, I haven't had a chance to look it up, but I need to find it. It was basically, what would life be like on an alien planet? And they basically did the same thing as this, where they just got a bunch of scientists in the room and said, okay, pick a a solar system out there or whatever, pick it, and based on what we know from that, you know, is it a methane-heavy ecosystem or whatever, basically just use all of your science knowledge to come up with life forms that would possibly live on this thing. And at the very end, I remember it, basically the framing device was... Humanity lives out in space and they're launching, they're constantly launching probes to go keep an eye on this planet and just see what happens mm-hmm. and, and to monitor. And what the what you're watching is all the feedback from the probe. And at the very end, it ends with the alien world finally producing intelligent life or at least somewhat intelligent life where it's like, God, they always go back to octopus. It was like this weird <laughs> floating head that had like tentacles coming out of it. So it basically looked just like an octopus just floating around like a like a hot air balloon with the tentacles dangling down at the bottom. And like it's showing POV footage from the probe as the probe like tries to communicate with it and like flashes lights and everything. Uh-huh. And it like very quietly, like the alien acts like very, very skittish at first, but then eventually warms up to it and starts like trying to communicate back. And then all of a sudden the probe like accidentally lets off steam or something and the alien panics and just attacks the probe. And you're watching all of this from the point of view of the probe. So it's attacking you. (laughs) Sure. It's like, it's like Cloverfield before it was Cloverfield. Exactly. (laughs) Like it's attacking you and you're watching through like the cracked lens as like three more of them huddle around and drag your robot carcass off. (laughs) 
god, jeez, <laughs> that's terrifying. It, like, like I said, the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, I know this is fake. It's just for fun, like letting scientists ha- be creative and you know, so, you know, just giving them a budget and creative freedom to just say like, okay, using all your science knowledge, go create life on a different planet. But for that split second of just like. My heart leapt up and I was like, oh my god, they're going to kill us. <laughs> <laughs> so are you scared of octopi now? Or were you scared of them then? Did you like go to the aquarium and get kind of freaked out? I've always had like a respectful fear fear of them <laughs> kind of like we kind of like with sharks like <laughs> you know what i mean like i'm not terrified yeah, of them I like <laughs> i i love them and they're very interesting creatures but at the same please just don't piss it off <laughs> right it's like with ghosts it's like with yeah. people are like i don't like like it's people are like i don't believe in ghosts but i don't want to mess with them if they do exist yeah. Except that octopi, octopi definitely are animals that exist. Oh, yeah, I don't know yeah. why I went to the ghost route. Like, <laughs> and, and, and just we, the way you said respectful fear, I think was just... And we constantly <laughs> see footage of them, like, breaking out of aquariums and everything. Yeah, so it's like, right. Yeah, watch out. Right. So there is some grain of truth into the, in this, in this uh, hypothetical situation of octopus aliens. Yes. It, it's such a wonderful... Oh, I totally forgot about... There's... They go into such detail creating, like, just such a huge pile of species to populate this thing. And one of the cool ones that I thought was, like, on the more believable side was, like, basically the centipede that grew appendages out of its body to mimic tree branches. And I was like, that's really cool. Like, that's... I mean, we have animals that do that nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they were just like, yeah, it's just a centipede, but, it, it, you know, he'll, like, stand up, and, you know, he just has these appendages that shoot out, and he just looks like a normal fern. Like, nobody can tell. I just want to go on record saying that I hate that. Because <laughs> centipedes genuinely terrify Yeah, me. that does sound fair. Especially... And I was like, oh, wait, is this one of the really large ones? Is this, like, the size of a bus? <laughs> yeah. Because that would be I bad. <laughs> I don't like the concept of... I mean, granted, if if we're going in, in the, the hypothetical scenario that this documentary series has presented, humans aren't on Earth anyway. So yeah. at least we don't have to deal, deal with the giant stealth centipedes. But even true, the true. thought of that is upsetting. I'm looking at the box, and I can't remember this one. It looks like a bird with butterfly wings? What? <laughs> <laughs> now I'm Googling it. Like, what the heck was this one? I can't remember this one. <laughs> When you when you watched this as a kid, did you have classmates or friends or anybody or a sibling who watched it with you? Did you talk to people about it at the time or was it just kind of like your weird thing that you were into? It was kind of my weird because we had that, uh, like I mentioned, my school library had that book. Yeah. And I would show it to friends and they were they were all the ones that were like just talking down to me about it. Not hateful, but they were just like, this is kind of dumb. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Have you have you met anybody as an adult that had seen it that that was excited that you had seen it as well or I don't know if it comes up in casual conversation <laughs> I don't know if you're like you know talking about squid or something and say hey did you see that thing <laughs> I think there was one guy on Twitter like when I found it I tweeted like holy crap I remember this yes I'm buying it and there was like one person that said oh, I remember that thing but other than that it's like it really did fall into obscurity oh Rattleback. I almost forgot about that. It's basically this giant. What even is it? I don't. It, it, it. It's like a giant pangolin. Like it just gets bigger, and the scales on the like the scales on its back basically rattle like rattlesnake rattles. So it's like a giant pangolin, but it can shake its rattles, and it just goes like 
Oh, it's so cool. And that was part, that was from the era that was like more believable. That was like that was so that was from the first iteration. I love I do genuinely enjoy the fact that the first time skip was just like, I guess everything gets bigger. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like how did we just go from well, uh, it's a pangolin, but big to <laughs> squids are in the air now. Like <laughs> Well, I, I assume that this was based pretty strongly on previous what we know about evolution in the past, which is that sure. yeah. things sort of get bigger for a while and then, you know, other forces make them get smaller. So, like, we did used to have slaws, but just really big. Not, you know, things were just, they just used to be really big because they could be. And that was what I was constantly showing my friends that were like, oh, it's just stupid. Like, they're just guessing at the stuff. They're just making it up. And I was like, well, there, you know, there's a little bit, I was showing them in the book, like, no, they kind of did their homework i mean yes a lot of it is speculation but it's based on previous evolutionary patterns it's based on you know what we know about the plates shifting and weather patterns and climate shifts and you know these are the different patterns and cycles that we've gone through already and so just going by that you know it, it kind of falls back you know everything goes in a cycle so it's like mm -hmm. okay if we've done that three or four times it's definitely going to happen again the mega squid i totally forgot about this one i got it open on google right now just looking at some of these and i totally forgot about the mega squid that's supposed to be like a bigger version of the squibbin it's like the predator here let me and yeah i need to oh my gosh <laughs> i don't even know how to react to this <laughs> So for, for context, listener... for context, dear listener, uh, I'll somehow find a way to put that, like, I don't know, put this in like the <laughs> description of the episode or something. Yeah, why it has just linked us <laughs> an image of what I can only describe as like an elephant yeah. squid. It's like an it elephant is... wearing like a saucy wizard hat, kind of. <laughs> yes, yes, that's absolutely what it. With like a power crystal in it, basically. <laughs> He's a crystal gem. <laughs> Man, I, I don't remember Steven Universe being like this. Yeah, this, this is Amethyst 100 million years in the future. <laughs> now, is there... So you mentioned that you saw this as a kid. You sort of didn't really... It kind of, you know, it fell into obscurity. You didn't really see anything about... You remembered it, but you didn't really see anything about it until you sort of, by happenstance, found it at your local game store when they were having this big sale. Do you think there's something in particular that sort of really lodged this in your memory? Because, like, that's a long time to remember something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to not have any contact with it. I think most of it was just all the crazy creatures. The way they presented them, which made them feel alive. Because that's, along with all the hypotheticals and what-ifs and multiverse stuff that I love, another big, like, part of my creative side is I love creature creation. And that's essentially what this was is just making random animals and, and creatures and then figuring out like okay how would they interact with each other in an ecosystem what would be the predator what would be the prey what would be the evolutionary advantage to having tentacles that you could swing through trees on you know i've just always been fascinated by like i said by creatures and monsters and i think that was really what stuck with me especially because they just felt so alive and fleshed out even though they were just ps2 era <laughs> models god half of these things look like they were just made in spore <laughs> oh gosh i'm not sure if that's a i'm not sure if that's a damning comment on spore or not <laughs> like, I, I swear i've seen griffin mcelroy make this in his let's play <laughs> <laughs> this is some monster factory stuff for sure yeah yes but yeah just just seeing them come to life like that was so cool to me but as i was googling it i noticed it said the feature is wild vr and i was like oh my god are they bringing it back? 
but I'm on. I, I need to look more into that. I don't know if that's like a VR thing from two years ago, back when it was popular, or if it's currently in production. But it's like, oh my goodness, I missed out on the sequel. <laughs> there was Dang deep it. lore that you yeah. lost. Yeah. You didn't there was have. a number. There was a number two. I don't know if you'd want to watch the uh, the squid attack in first person in VR. That might be might be scary. Oh, that's yeah. That would be probably very traumatic. <laughs> oh, uh, how do you feel about sharks? I feel pretty good I'm, about sharks. I guess I'm as long generally as yes. I'm not in the friends. water with them. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was this really cool one that they came up with called the Sharkopath. Okay. <laughs> Is this a Sci-Fi Channel movie? Suddenly, <laughs> yeah, really. Sharkopath. <laughs> he, he likes to, he likes to eat people psychopath more like sharkopath god yeah but no it, that is basically just a sci-fi yeah i was going right telepathic there. shark i'm not really sure how that would be an advantage for the shark but um <laughs> you see a shark just roll in in a wheelchair <laughs> to me my x-men <laughs> welcome to my school for gifted sharks <laughs> let me see this reboot give me this x-men reboot where everyone is sharks <laughs> isn't that just like it's kind of like straight sharks only <laughs> that's true yes street sharks but with charles xavier as the leader yes 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 i'll take it i'll <laughs> the, take 10 oh, the sharkopath it's basically just a normal shark except at this point they've developed like bioluminescence they're these sharks that have like glowing uh stripes and arrows going down their back and it makes sense too because like Sharks haven't changed for, what, half a billion years? Yeah, something like that. Like, all they did was get smaller. Other than that, they've basically been the same since, like, dinosaur times. So you're saying that in the in the far-flung distant future, the only thing that will change about sharks is that they're going to get cool racing stripes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that glow. I'm glad. I'm glad that that's the case. <laughs> they really got it together, but they, they need to work on their fashion statements. That's pretty much they're it. Just getting the, they're just getting the aesthetic down, you know? Evolution with them is like, you know, we've done all we can. Like, what? Do we just trick this thing out now or what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just work on the brand. <laughs> like, we pushed it as far as we can. I don't know. Timmy, just slap a racing stripe on it. <laughs> Put some flames on the side. Yeah. God, I just imagine that. Like, what if there were, like, just a group of cosmic beings and they're the ones in charge of evolution but it's more like instead of being like the grand cosmic thing where they like you know wave their hands and all this magical science energy slowly transforms animals over time it's just like three guys in an office cubicle <laughs> <laughs> like so we've we've done enough with dinosaurs right yeah i'm kind of bored with them just hey hey dave what should we do next i don't know, just make it bigger <laughs> Just make it bigger, I guess. God, quoting Jerry Ordway from Superman. Let's just kill him. <laughs> Slight detour, just because I think this is a really funny story. So do you guys know about the death of Superman? Vaguely, yes. I know of it. It was like a comic event they did in the 90s where uh, they killed off Superman. And the legend goes that when they were... So at that time, all the Superman writers, there were four different Superman books going at the time. Uh, and they would all have, like, writer summits where they would all get together and plot it out so that... Because, uh, like, each comic came out, like, one week. So, like, the first week would be Man of Steel. The second week would be Superman. Third week would be Adventures of Superman. And the fourth week of the month would be Action Comics. Or, you know, however it felt like that. And so they would all uh, meet together and plot out their stories so that it was all one giant continuous story through all four books. So that instead of having to wait a full month for the next issue, 
you could just pick up the other book the next week. So it was all one continuous story through all four books. And they all got together for this one meeting and they had an entire year's worth of stories planned out for the wedding of Clark Kent and Lois Lane, where they were finally going to get Superman and Lois married. And at the time, they had the TV show uh, Lois and Clark. Yeah. And basically, the entire point of the show was to get them married. And people, and they didn't want that, like the top brass executives didn't want that to take away from the show. They were like, you can't, you can't do that in the comics yet. Because... We can't have two marriages. <laughs> we can't have two marriages. They were just like, the reasoning was that if you get them married in the comics, it'll take away all the excitement and like everything from the TV show. Sure. Because that's the whole setup for the TV show. And I was like, even that back then, they were just like, not that many people read the Okay. Yeah, I don't know that that many people were, there was a huge overlap between the Lois and Clark fans and the people who are actually reading the monthly Superman's comics yeah, at that like, point. You got a few million people reading the, or watching the show and like, you know, a good several thousand, but compared to the few million, like, that's not, okay, whatever. And so an entire year's worth of plot and everything that they had just worked on, straight in the trash. Oh. And they were all just... <laughs> And they were all just sitting around the room like, what now? What do we do now? What the hell? There goes a whole year's worth of work. And like, what are we supposed to fill that gap with? And then Jerry's sitting in the corner in his chair just like, let's just kill him. <laughs> <laughs> they they, uh, they should have just made him bigger. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Big, then you would just have Superman, big Superman. Give him some race, racing stripes. <laughs> We've done it. Give him squid arms and have him run through the tree. <laughs> Superman is just a giant shark. You heard it here, folks. Um, That's going to be a comic in five years. Yeah, probably. And then I will sue them for copyright infringement. <laughs> I, that's, my, that's my intellectual property that they stole. Like, no, I, I know where you got that from. Sharker man. <laughs> super that's, shark? I, I don't know why also I Also sounds that. like a sci-fi channel movie. <laughs> yeah, and not super shark. Because that's the, like, that's the change that makes sense. Well, I don't. I don't know if I can think of it. And do you have any other questions? Re this this wild documentary series. I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking about Superman as a shark now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was a lion. I guess. Do Do you think that? Wait, he was a lion. <laughs> Roll that back. What? <laughs> yeah, we can't go past that. <laughs> Welcome yeah, to were... our podcast. We're talking about two things now. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to get so off topic from the future as well, but like I just love that death of Superman story so much. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of the same thing though, right? And that comics have been running for so long with with some of these iconic characters that they sort of have to sit around and and roll through every possible what if scenario because yeah. that's where the story lies. It it, it it does kind of line up with this documentary because this was towards the end of this this craze of the CGI documentaries mm -hmm. where they're like, we've done fifty on dinosaurs, like we can't keep just doing dinosaurs over and over what else yeah. do we do i don't know just make some shit up right <laughs> ask your five-year-old what what do you think this what do you think the the turtle would look like if it was bigger to me <laughs> it looked like this yeah. little crayon drawing yeah just a bunch of just a bunch of animators being like you know animating all their kids drawings that they have up on the, on the fridge which is God. really cute now that i think yeah about i would that. watch that beautiful. to be honest i would watch that we're doing that we're doing that next. This is the announcement of our new pro no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our new project. We're gonna go crash a school. And just just yeah. take drawings from the kids. We've we're just gonna steal their IP now. It's fine. <laughs> They're kids. What do they know about intellectual property laws? Not a damn thing. I mean, I think it, it does make sense that this is something that, that fed 
into your career, which is something that we've asked uh, some of our other guests so far about how we feel like something that they chose as a topic has informed their life or their choices or their artistic um, artistic side. But I, I think you have actually already answered that question, so no, I can't yeah. really ask it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty you know with the passion of how you talk about all these these hypothetical scenarios that this documentary um, visualized. It's you can almost see a clear line in how you've gotten into character and creature creation from this from exposure to this. Yeah, um, which is very it, cool. It's one of the things I didn't even realize it until I looked back on it, and I was like, wow, I. You know, I'll, I'll flip through old sketchbooks, even ones from, like, high school and stuff, and I'll see all these crazy monsters and everything that I drew, and I'm like, wow, you know, a lot of that did kick off from this, because everything up to that point was either, you know, modern-day animals or dinosaurs, and a lot of the crazy monster creature creation stuff came after watching this, so it definitely, it definitely had a big impact on me. So it, I know it's a little hard because it's apparently not available on streaming, but do you want to, I mean, you've, this whole episode has kind of been you pitching it, but if you had to do a really short <laughs> pitch that you were, you, you were telling people like, you've got to go and find the DVDs for this show. What do you think you would tell them? What's the top thing that you think they would be excited by that would get them to track this down and watch it? I'm tempted to just say, do you want to see squid swinging through trees like monkeys? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would get me to watch it. So, dude, do you want to see squid swinging through trees like monkeys? <laughs> get that. Ah, <laughs> uh, but like, uh, it, it really is just a really interesting hypothetical look at life on the planet. So basically, if you're really into animals and and uh, nature documentaries and stuff like that, this is a very interesting hypothetical world to explore and like i said a lot of it is based on what we have now you know once again they they did their homework so it all it all makes sense when they show it and guide you through this world of insanity yeah i think that's a good that sounds like a good summary of yeah. of at least from what you've described so one thing i learned watching this the future is wild hey, <laughs> hey. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Wyatt, for coming on and talking about this. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Where can people find you on social media? Any projects you want to plug? Yeah, uh, so basically, uh, my big personal project is wyatttoonscomics.com. That's my website, where you can read all of my comics. You can read various uh, reviews and think pieces I write every now and then, based on movies and comic books. Uh, and you can also see a lot of my professional work. I, I have a portfolio tab on there, uh, where you can see, instead of just the random sketches or whatever that I post on Twitter and Instagram, you can actually see some of my more professional work that I've done uh, for various studios and clients. And that's wyattunes.com or wyattunescomics.com, W-Y-A-T-T-O-O-N-S, comics, all one word. And uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I Both of them, I use the same name, so it's easy to find. Wyatt the Nerd, all one word. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Well, thank you again. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Guilty Treasures. You can follow us on Twitter at TreasuresCast. If you have questions or comments, hit us up there or at our email, guiltytreasurescast at gmail.com. Or become a tree-faring squid, reverse engineer a computer, and somehow send a message into the past. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you like the show, tell a friend. Or if you didn't like the show, deploy your attack crabs. Until next time, let the dragon in your heart be happy. (laughs) 